0: So um, a little bit about Michigan Community Capital. Um, We're a 501c3 nonprofit. Um, We're a community development entity, which means we apply for new market tax credits um, for the state of Michigan and um, put those tax credits into um, other investor and developers projects in low-income census tracts. And we're also a community development finance institution, which means we raise money and lend into other people's projects in low-income census tracts. Um, But recently in 2019, we started to act as uh, the developer in circumstances where there wasn't a a development partner um, or there was a need and and, um, the inability for the, Uh, another group to do it so we've stepped into um, a couple of projects that um, have now turned into quite a few projects and uh, we have a full-fledged development and property management arm where we um, develop the site and um, own the site long term if they're rentals or um, sell them if they're for sale products Uh, And then we also have an insurance company. So we've kind of got these four arms of business that are all contributing to, um, I mean, our mission of basically uh, investing in economic prosperity in the state of Michigan. Um, So as a nonprofit developer, we're able to uh, look at things from a public policy point of view and a mission point of view. Um, and take profit out of it Um, but because we you know we're able to identify in because we're doing it we're able to identify why the private sector might not be responding to that particular need why is there a gap in the market so um, housing has been a big one for us um, in terms of listening to that as a need Um, and it. You know, we see a lot of activity happening around luxury, uh, new construction, whether that's you know single-family homes or a condo and um, luxury rentals uh, happening in the private sector. And then we're seeing a lot of activity in the low-income subsidized area, the low-income housing tax credit. So those are kind of two established um, areas that have been going full strength. Um, And where we see a lot of need and hear that communities have a lot of need is the middle income housing, um, which I feel like the words get really kind of convoluted or people use kind of a cutesy term for it. But, um, you know, we're talking about housing that is not being directly subsidized by a tax credit program. Um, but it is not a luxury housing product. And that's almost the entire population. And yet we have to call it names like workforce housing or attainable housing, but it's essentially just middle income housing that is not being addressed by, it's not adequately being addressed by uh, the private market. And so as a nonprofit, we're stepping in and trying to problem solve for um, you know, why aren't people building modest, moderately priced homes? Why aren't people building um, quality, but moderately priced apartments in, into the level of the demand? I mean, it's getting done, but the demand far, far, far outweighs, um, you know, what's, what's being built. Um, and so I'm sure you're going to provide more data about it, but obviously the cost to construct is super high. And the amount of developers in the state, um, they're not yet at the point that they're having to compete um, to to figure out. I mean, if there's enough demand to do either tech or luxury, um, you know, that they can just stay and do those and make make a great return. And so why get into this middle area that has all these... um, difficulties when you can make a great profit building, you know, luxury condos. If you know how to do it, your most private development companies are going to gravitate towards the ability to make the most amount of profit. So, you know, you can spend two years developing houses that cost half a million dollars. I feel like most of the development that happened, you know, in the past hundred years has been moderately priced housing because that's where the most demand is. Um, but there's just a lack of enough, um, you know, building development construction talent um, that those industries can focus where there is the most amount of profit, um, which is going to be heavily subsidized, large multifamily LITEC projects um, and luxury development. And so there's not enough competition in the luxury market in order to push people to, to focus on this kind of moderately priced housing um, that meets the demand. Um, so you can either you know build 100 moderately priced houses or you can build a couple luxury houses and you make the same profit and, and which one is harder to do. Um, so it's, it's interesting that a nonprofit has to be at the table to talk about what is essentially middle-income housing. Um, and so we just broke ground on our first single family neighborhood in, uh, in Grand Haven this month. And our cost to develop was about 215,000 per house as an average. And we're talking uh, houses um, that are in the size of like 900 square feet to 1400 square feet. Um, so very modestly sized. And that's another trend that you know the cost to per, per square foot is going to go down the bigger your house gets. And so it's actually more economical to build a really big house Um, because the things that are expensive, the kitchen, the bathrooms are kind of more spread out across more space. And you can sell that whole product for a higher sale price per square foot, but your cost to construct is lower. Um, I don't know if that's too much detail, but um, so if you're looking at our baseline cost to develop of $215,000 for a, a, a moderately sized home, which includes no profit, um, no like markup for profit um, then it's makes a ton of sense why it's not occurring naturally in the market um, because you you know there's <laughs> what am I trying to say but, if no
1: quick, <laughs> that, that seems like a really reasonable amount of money given some of the estimates I've heard for um, even houses that are that moderately sized. Um, can you speak a little bit about how you were able to make those, those numbers work that way? Was there, um, uh, what, what, yeah, maybe, maybe you could tell me, I don't, that seems really pretty darn reasonable if not cheap for that size even.
0: Well, um, we designed a really simple house. So there's nothing luxurious or fancy. Um, they very straightforward. It's an open living and dining room. We're using the same cabinet materials throughout. So the kitchen and the bathroom has the same cabinets. The flooring is the same flooring throughout. Um, it's wood frame slab on grade, no basement, no garage. Um, the, the actual construction quality is pretty high. I mean, we're using um, pretty high quality windows. We're using high quality vinyl siding. We're using high quality ash, asphalt um, shingles. I think we're insulating higher than what's to code. Um, but they're very kind of straightforward. They're, they're not fussy designs. And then we're doing 30 of them. So we have some economies of scale. We're not just engaging one builder to do one house. We're have a bigger contract. Um, so it, I mean, overall, it's a $7.5 million project. So I'm not quite sure how much it would cost us to build one house, um, the same house, but just one of them, because I'm sure the markup would be higher. We're kind of getting the most competitive rate. And then our, our total cost to develop, um, which is that the number I gave you is our cost all in, not just our hard cost. Um, we have a Reduced acquisition, we have, which was a, a city, is a city-owned site, and the city agreed to sell us the site for reduced price to achieve this goal of the, the workforce housing. Um, reduced TAP fees, which was another city um, concession. All of the site prep and public infrastructure is being reimbursed through a brownfield um, tax increment financing plan. Uh, So that's being able to be held out of the cost of the house, um, because it's an incentive, the city approved. Um, And then we have a lower cost of capital. Um, The Grand Haven Area Community Foundation supported the project with a low interest loan, um, And we just have a less demand of return on investment for our equity. We, you know, most private investors are going to want to see a double digit return and we don't have that obligation. Um, And we're not, we're taking a a significantly reduced kind of developer overhead fee, um, which a a private developer would want to see a higher reimbursement for all the work it took to put it together. so I think that's how we, how we're doing it: straightforward design, economies of scale, reduce cost of capital, and concessions and incentives from the city.
2: Eric, you
1: came off mute. Did you have something you wanted to add?
2: Oh no, I'm I'm listening. Oh, okay. to, you know the um, the the one thing I guess that I'll add is. Um, this market isn't being addressed, both because there's scarcity in talent, but also when you look at the reason people are gravitating toward the luxury markets or the litech tech markets, both of those markets are the lowest risk markets. Um, and when we say luxury we're not talking multi million dollar custom luxury we're, what we're really talking about is houses that are between 500,000 and Eight hundred and fifty thousand in Michigan. So these are houses that are are luxurious, you know, in terms of their build quality and size and things like that. But really, um, what you're seeing is with very low interest rates, people that have a middle or upper middle income levels, they can get into long-term debt that allows them to afford, you know, the loans that it takes to buy homes of that size. Sure. Um, so I think the other thing that's fueled um this push upward is developers are able to grab margin because um the people who are home a lot of people who are home buyers are able to lever up with larger loans. Sure. Because of low interest rates. If interest rates were at seven and eight percent right now the capacity for people to borrow would be much lower and that would put pressure on the markets differently. And I think that interest rates are gonna go up and we shouldn't lose sight of how quickly that can change the market. Yeah, oh, definitely.
0: Through a development agreement, we negotiated with the city of Grand Haven that 51% of the homes will be income restricted to uh, 80% of the area median income. And for that project, they wanted to put those homes in a community land trust that they created. So the tool doesn't necessarily, the Brownfield tax increment financing doesn't necessarily require that, Mm -hmm. but that's what the city wanted in order to use that tool.
1: Sure,
0: I I think there's a lot of different ways an employer could get involved. And I actually did a presentation on this um, like a few weeks ago at the NETA. Uh, meetup some meetup spring training. I can send you the PowerPoint, but um, I think the first kind of lowest barrier way a uh, employer can get involved is to advocate to municipalities or you know advocacy groups that housing is an important aspect of their growth, because I think the message that housing is an economic development issue is still a message that needs to be discussed. I think me and Eric operate as if if we don't have housing that's affordable, then people don't have anywhere to live and then they don't can't then they can't move to where there's jobs. So we see it as being all connected, but I don't think that's necessarily a widespread belief at this time. So just being an advocate for the support of housing and changing the perception of, you know, what is quote low income housing, what is quote affordable housing, um, because oftentimes the housing we're talking about is very much middle class housing, but because it needs to have created financing tools, people automatically assume, oh, this is you know these are people who don't have a job and blah, blah, blah. And at at the end of the day, they're probably the exact income that the business is paying their employees. And that's the the housing that's needed and needs advocacy. So that's like the lowest barrier and easiest one. Mm -hmm. Um, I think if the employer doesn't see anything happening from advocacy work or they wanna be more proactive um, investing, like putting their money up as either an equity um, uh, in the project or, I mean, the most immediate would be a grant grant into the project to help encourage housing at that price point. Mm-hmm. Um, that money could also go to um, their employees to help encourage, you know, this is a, we'll give you a housing voucher in order to be able to afford um, to live or to buy. That's another area that if the issue is that the housing is too expensive, then the employer, um, could help offset those costs. I mean, obviously as a developer, I would advocate that they invest in projects, you know, that I'm, I don't, I feel like I'm selling that I need an uh, employer to give me money, but Um, if the product doesn't exist that they want to exist, then having money available to either invest or give direct grant subsidy is a very kind of straightforward way to see that happen. Um, I think guaranteeing, uh, rentals or entering into some kind of corporate lease where they are taking some risk away from developers, uh, and saying, if you build this building, I'll guarantee that X amount of units are leased. And if they're not leased, then I will basically lease them if they're vacant. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of times in multifamily settings, if we're doing a project that is um, addressing a gap in the market, so it hasn't been done in a really long time, then you're doing a lot of work to convince the bank that it is necessary and you know, you're doing market studies to show there's a demand, but if there's no comps, if there's no real life other examples in the community, the bank is more skittish. And so having an employer at the table with you to say, it is necessary and it's so necessary that I will guarantee X percentage is filled in the building, um, then it, it makes it just easier to finance because the um, the bank, gets some more comfort that there's a demand for this, even if there's nothing else like it in the, in the community. Um, so that's another way they can get involved. Um, and then I think some employers have ventured into the world of actually doing the development. I wouldn't necessarily recommend that, but I have definitely seen some examples of it where they're so desperate for housing that they act as the developer and actually own um, the housing. So that's kind of, to me, the most extreme way to get involved.
1: So there could be a, and that's probably the highest risk for the employer necessarily. So it's risk mitigation can be a huge role. Um, lease uh, lease guarantees that would guarantee the employer um, some rooms for their employees, but also, um, some less less uh, financing risk. Um, and then if, so if they pooled together, if there were a group of employee employers that had a need like this, they could talk to an agency like yours and, um, and say, this is the kind of mix that we believe is out there work on with some uh, marketing studies or some project or site specific uh, market studies and, and then do some risk management, provide some funding or financing or agreements that could um, help push that project along or initiate it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't wanna say that we're the only game in town. I think there's the potential to incentivize private developers to do the kind of housing they want as well. Um, So I don't necessarily wanna say that we're the only ones that they can do that with. There's a ton of great private developers and construction companies and if they're given a good enough reason to do housing in an area or do housing in a certain price point, then they potentially could, you know, shift their focus and priorities. So, um, sure. I, I think we're a good group to offer neutral advice to, you know, what is helpful to developers and what is not helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, so.
1: So best thing to do right for them is reach out to a local developer and just start talking about ideas, reach out to fellow employers, talk about some of their common goals, similar to what we're doing in this meeting, hopefully, but also eventually talk to some local builders and figure out if they're-
2: Yeah, reach out
0: to their municipality and talk about how are they encouraging housing.
2: Yeah, there's really two big issues, right? The first issue is what do we want? And that's, that's about the employer driving the conversation about are we housing their employees or are they being a good corporate citizen and recognizing the issues in the community? Is it preventing them from expanding? And what are the income levels of the people that, that need to be housed? So there's a, a conversation that has to happen at the community about what is needed. Yeah. And then after you figure out what is needed, there's an entirely separate conversation that has to happen that's connected uh, about how to pay for it. Mm-hmm. And I think that we have the ability to offer, uh, like Marilyn said, sort of neutral guidance on both of those topics because we have been up and down that mountain before a couple of times. Um Marilyn's really specialized a lot in how to build these things Uh, and I've done a lot of fundraising and fund structuring in the past, and so it it takes all of those things, but I do think the the lead-off conversation is always, what do we need and why? Mm -hmm. And then- We all agree. Yeah, can we all agree on this? And then once you have that, then the conversation about the financing gets pretty academic, right? It's grants loans and investments and it really gets down again we've said previously to how much long term involvement and custody and ownership does the business really want to play as a part of the housing process are they looking to just incentivize the work or are they you know attempting to start a housing development company as some businesses have so it you know that's a conversation that occurs on a spectrum that um, that happens after you get consensus about what you need.
1: And is it, um, seems like when, I, when I've talked to some individual developers, they were, they're always mentioning a, like they've got a, a site, they're typically looking at the site first and then figuring out what kind of housing can fit. And then they're always talking about right away, well, I've got to hire a marketing person to really verify that the demand that I'm thinking of for this housing type is there to support the numbers. Of units and and costs and that kind of thing. If if employers are talking about what trying to discuss discuss what form should this housing take, should that um, is there is there um, a big need right away for that kind of market study, or can they go with some of these regional market studies that we've had done and say, you know, together as this group of employers, we feel very strongly because we've talked to our employees about this particular housing type. This is what will meet our need and then move forward confidently with that?
0: I think piggybacking off of regional studies that have been done and providing actual hiring data pooled together, I think that that is one of the most powerful ways to demonstrate need is to provide employment data. And it's sometimes the most difficult for a developer to get. And it's something that, investors love, banks love, you know, state organizations love to, to when employers are saying who they want to hire and what they're going to make or who they're trying to hire or who they have hired and their income and even data of how far they're traveling from work. Um, I mean, they don't have to commission any kind of study if they have their own data from their, um, their own organization That's incredibly powerful um, to a developer or a lender um, to to build confidence.
2: Great. I mean, your market study folks are going to call your employers and ask them. (laughs) You know, that's how the market studies get written anyway. So
1: they're the the source of the market data, really. So they can just write
2: it themselves. (laughs) Yeah. If the sample size is large enough, which is the issue. So you need consensus among us.
0: And projecting out their growth too. I mean, like they're sharing, I know that a lot of it's like insider trading, but sharing out like we're projected to hire X amount of employees over the next five years. I mean, that's like direct proof um, of who your consumer is going to be of a you know, real estate project. Um, I think uh, again, hitting on uh, advocacy at the municipal level, it doesn't matter if there's a developer present who wants to do it, it, uh, you know, a housing development and that they have an employer or a group of employer partners. If the municipality doesn't support the kind of housing they want or the density of the housing or the price of the housing or getting involved through concessions and incentives, A municipality has the ability to completely kill a deal so having the you know governing body be on board with with those goals as well is important great point
1: incentive zoning be housing friendly be willing to expand utilities if need be to make that happen
0: messaging about what is um affordable housing it's not a dirty word
1: yeah yeah the wording is so important when we've been talking about housing especially with planning commissions you start talking density and they get all nervous about making changes that that bring that because they imagine the cinder block soviet apartments of a thousand
2: units Mm -hmm. i mean density the the biggest issue that i in my limited brush on this stuff and maryland probably sees more but i mean look around at a lot of cities that had post-war homes that were built those homes were small the lots were small that that is generally even though they're single family that's a generally dense way to build and a lot of those now are very thriving communities that have a lot of value for the square feet because of their proximity to the rest of the amenities in the area. So just because it's a small home and just because it's uh, um,
0: Close uh, together.
2: Close together does not make it an unattractive place to live. I mean, yeah. if you, if I have older relatives that have moved to Florida. They moved purposely to communities where there's other old people living very close to them because they want the social aspect of being in the community All of them can afford gigantic houses if they want to buy gigantic houses. That's not what they want. So I think when you get into these discussions about density and zoning, it's really about what kind of community from a social aspect and a human interactive aspect is the built infrastructure facilitating. Is it closing people off by spreading them out and putting them in big giant rooms by themselves or is it putting them together in a thoughtful way that allows them to interact without annoying each other all the time. Because that's balance, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Density plus privacy.
2: Yeah, it's about.
1: Chances to interact,
2: yeah. You also are seeing big demographic shifts and um, there are um, phases of uh, generations going through the child uh, stage where they're interested in schools, but there's a ton of people who are interested in um, aging in place who are toward the end of their career right now. And then there's lots of people in the younger generation who do not have the economics to be able to support large households right now and are choosing not to have children. And so you, the the number of new nu- traditional nuclear families is going down significantly in the U.S. right now and the non-traditional family setups are going up and housing needs to adjust and accommodate that or the mismatches will make the scarcity problem worse.
0: Yeah. Well, that's what's happened is the market has kept building really big houses because there's, that's the most profit. And it's the, the demand for smaller, more modestly priced houses has like only just continued to increase.
1: Yeah, the thing we're struggling with now, but but finding a little traction with is allowing people to convert those larger homes and add a little apartment. So a family member who is a caretaker can sit, stay there with them, or uh, a young professional can move to the area and provide some kind of live-in, just somebody else nearby. So hopefully
0: mm-hmm.
1: hopefully that picks up. There's a little interest in that kind of thing, and there's some, some of that kind of rental happening. We just aren't always aware of it because you can't find it necessarily. Um, and some of the typical data that's collected
0: yeah i think that's a great um it's to me more is more the more different ways you can attack the problem the the better it will be solved so i think that's a really good and creative way to provide more housing
1: a little bit by little bit no silver bullet we just keep having to pick away at it like you say housing friendly uh local government is gonna be a big part of that with employers that are willing to help absorb some of that risk.